Amen. Thank you, Mike. I want to remind you of something that I forgot in my announcements, and that is that this coming, uh, well, in a couple weeks, it's on February the 8th, actually, our CCF meal takes place. It was scheduled for the 1st, but that got shifted to the 8th. It's a little confusing because the bulletin has both dates, so just letting you know about that. Um, we are continuing in our series, week one was last week, our series, The Culture Wars, and uh, so I want to do just a little bit of review from last week, what we covered last week, and then we'll jump into our new material for today, talking about his role. Last week, we identified the savage wolves uh, that Paul points out coming for the church, um, and these take on the forms of feminists on the one side and masculine dominance and masculine superiority on the other side. And then in between these two polar opposites, feminism on the one hand, masculine dominance on the other hand, is the complementarian middle. This is the biblical view of male-female relationships. We've got a diagram for you that just kind of puts all these uh, out there for us to look at. You see that feminists on the one side teach equality of the sexes uh, to the extent that they teach that there are no differences in between the sexes other than what we uh, can observe biologically, but that Gen that uh, gender, rather, is a, a binary, uh, fluid construct. That is, that gender is the result of social and cultural uh, forces, um, not biological ones. And we refuted that last week, and we're working on getting all that up on the website for you this week, and so you can go back and listen to the re refutation of that um, <clears throat> from last week. We also identified another savage wolf that has infiltrated the church, and this is a, the worldview that teaches male dominance. By male dominance, we mean harshness. We mean might makes right. This view looks at men and says men are the stronger sex, women are the weaker sex, and puts women in a subordinate role, uh, puts, women, uh, puts down women and, and um, executes violence against women. Um, and anywhere that you have a male-dominant uh, worldview that subsists, you have violence against women, you have polyamory, multiple partners, you have the fruits of the sexual revolution, which we see um, in full display on our culture today. The biblical middle between these two polar opposites, again, is a complementarian middle, and this view of male-female relationships holds that all people, men and women, Genesis chapter 1 and verse 27, God created man in the image of God, and the image of God he created them, male and female he created them, holds that all uh, male and women, men and women are created equal in the image of God, are, have equal worth, equal value. You heard me, right? Equal worth and equal value. That's the teaching of Scripture, but that there's not sameness of gender. Uh, that they are distinct. There's a distinction between the two, but it's more than just biological. Um, and again, that is the complementarian middle. And that these differences are inherent, biological differences, they are in our DNA, and that when a man and a woman come together, they naturally complement one another, which is why the complementarian view. This week, we want to take a look at the role of Adam. What is the role of men um, in their homes, in society, uh, in this complementarian middle relationship? Our text comes from Ephesians chapter 5. In Ephesians chapter 5, Paul makes perhaps the clearest statement in all of Scripture as to the role of men in the home. So let's stand and read together from God's Word, Ephesians chapter 5. We're reading verses 21 through 25. Let's read together. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Verse 25. 
Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. You may be seated. Thank you so much. Um, let me restate um, <clears throat> a little bit of uh, what well, we've kind of done some review here. But let me restate that we're looking at the role of men in the home specifically and then broadly how that might play out in society um, from this biblical worldview. Um, and there are three different roles that men has. One is to protect, one is to provide, and another is involves his leadership. And so that's what Paul speaks to here in Ephesians chapter 5. We're going to come to these verses in just a few moments, but first let me deal with to protect and to provide. Um, to provide for one's family means that when there's no bread on the table, that the man feels the main pressure to do something about it. That's what it means for a man to provide for his family. That when there's no bread on the table, that the man feels the main pressure to do something about it. That's what it means to provide. It doesn't mean that the man has to be the sole breadwinner in the family. That's what we see in the male-dominant view. Um, it doesn't mean that his wife can't help. It doesn't mean that he has to make more money than she does. It means that if God was to come down and he was to call somebody to account as to why the family was not being provided for, God's not going to come and have a conversation with Eve. He's coming to talk to Adam because his family's not being provided for. That means that the main responsibility, the primary area of responsibility, falls on the man's shoulders for providing for his family. And again, we see this in Genesis chapter 3 where God issues out the three curses. Adam and Eve have sinned. The world has now fallen in place. God issues a curse at Satan. And then he issues a curse at Eve, and then he issues a curse at the soil that will affect the man. The reason why he issues this curse at the soil is because that's Adam's primary area of responsibility, is to provide for. He's out there working the soil, he's providing for his family. And so that naturally, God issues a curse that naturally affects the man. Let me restate, because I don't want to be, somebody say what Gordon said, what he didn't say. To provide for one's family means. That when the, there's no bread on the table, the man feels the main pressure to do something about it. I hope that's clear. Okay, let's compare these different roles uh, or these different worldviews. You've got the feminist view on the, on the one side. You've got the uh, male dominance view on the other. So let's take a look at how all these render this out. In the feminist left, when you talk about providing for the family, the feminist left says, no, no, God's not going to come down and talk to Adam and have a conversation with Adam. God's going to come down and talk to both persons. Um, God is going to, because both people are responsible. Both people hold uh, a responsibility for providing for the family. And uh, both people have to feel the main pressure. Both people, at the end of the day, are going to be called to account. And again, that's not what the Bible teaches, but that's what the feminist left would teach. And then on the opposite side, so you tilt the scales the other way, the opposite side of this, under the male dominance view, you have women are forbidden to have a job outside of the home, under the male dominance view, where it's like the man, he goes out, he kills it, he brings it home, and the wife's just supposed to cook, and then he puts his feet up for the rest of the day, right? And that's the male dominance view. In other words, wives <clears throat> are not allowed to vote, they're not allowed to own property, all of that is built around uh, this idea of the men being dominant and superior. Okay, so that's the first role that men have is to provide for the family. I don't think I need to define it again, but anyway. Um, all right, so the second view. Everybody doing okay? Breathe. <sighs> it's okay. All right. Uh, no, actually, the really tough one's coming up here in just a little bit, but we'll, hang on. All right, so the second role of men in the male-female relationship is protection, is protection. Again, this is the, if the family's not being protected, 
who's God going to come and call to account? It's the man. That the family is protected. Uh, that is a man's uh, primary area of responsibility. It doesn't mean that she can't own a gun. doesn't mean that she can't learn to use it. doesn't mean she can't defend herself. But it means that God's going to call to account the man in, uh, in dealing with the family's protection. Nahum chapter 3, verse 13. God is taunting the great uh, country, city of Nineveh, uh, the Syrian uh, capital. And uh, he's taunting them. And look at what God says to the city of Nineveh. He says, look at your troops. They are all women. And we all got to chuckle from that because we're supposed to laugh at that because God, this is, again, this is God's view, right? And I don't care if it's not politically correct to say something like that. This is how God sees the issue. He says, this is a disgrace to the city of Nineveh that the people that are out there with spears in their hands and defending the city and defending the community are the women of the community. He says that your doors are wide open, your gates are wide open to your enemies. It is the disgrace of Nineveh. They are down to women warriors. Why? Because from God's view, it is the primary responsibility of men to defend, to protect the family. In Judges chapter 4, Barak goes off to war, and uh, he won't go without Deborah. Deborah is a priestess, and she's been given leadership to the uh, nation of Israel. Um, and so he tells Deborah, hey, Deborah, I want you to go to war with me. I don't feel like I'm going to have any success unless you go out to war with me. And um, so Deborah says, verse 9, uh, Judges chapter 4, very well, I'll go with you, but you need to know something, buddy, that because of the way you are do you're going about this, taking me a woman into battle, the honor will not be yours. The Lord will hand Sisera over to a woman. This is meant to shame Barak because he's bringing a woman into the line of fire. Um, there was a time in our nation not very long ago, I mean within the last two decades, when women were not allowed to go into combat because of this complementarian biblical worldview. Uh, women could serve in the military, women could serve in the armed forces, but they were not allowed to go into the line of fire um, because of this worldview, because of this understanding. And if we wince at that, right, if we're kind of like, ooh, I don't know about that, perhaps it's because this feminist left worldview has assimilated itself into the way we understand male and female relationships, okay? Um, let me expand this particular topic just beyond just the idea of protection because uh, to the issue of crime, because I think crime falls under the scope of protection. That is how we treat and deal with criminals in our society. Okay, so let's take a look at our, our diagram here again, or our, um, our table, our chart, however you want to call that. Um, and so what we see there the man's role of protecting, again, his primary area of responsibility to protect um, and how he deals with criminals. On the feminist side, well, first of all, let's start with the complementarian middle. Um, punishment under this protection uh, role is speedy, it's swift, it's fair in the complementarian middle. Like somebody commits a crime, okay, here's what's going to happen. It's speedy, it's swift, we're done with it. Um, the aim is for justice and for the restoration of the criminal. So we're not looking to just smack somebody around. Um, that's not the intent here and make them feel bad. The intent here is to uh, 
what's the word I'm looking for? Somebody help me out here. We want to help the criminal rehabilitate. There we go. I'm glad we're listening today. So we rehabilitate the criminal. That's the, that's the idea here under this complementarian view. But again, the punishment comes swiftly. Look at that on the feminist left side. On the feminist left side, the criminal is seen as the victim. Well, they shouldn't be responsible. This person shouldn't be responsible for what they've done because of the culture or the society or the demographic into which they were raised. And so because of that, we want to be soft in our punishment. We want to be understanding in our bringing of justice. And so our justice, our sense of justice has to be tweaked, has to be changed somewhat to reflect the fact that, oh, well, this person um, shouldn't be held accountable the way because they didn't have all the same opportunities or, or however you want to look at that. And so just in that sense, justice is delayed. And the result of that in society is a lack or a lessening of respect for authority. Is that when justice doesn't come swiftly, is that when justice doesn't come fairly, um, there is a loss of respect in, uh, in, amongst, in society for authority. On the opposite side of this, so tilt the scales the other way, toward the male dominant skew, um, you have a repressive government. That is that when, when crimes are committed, the government comes in swiftly, but it also comes in harshly, right? And so because of that harshness, because of the severity of the punishment of the crimes, there's really no crime, and people are just walk around scared. But because they're walking around scared, there's also a lack of freedom in the society. Um, and so the Bible, again, sits in the middle of those two, where it brings justice, it brings the rehabilitation of the criminal, respect for persons, that everyone's created in the image of God, the dignity of people, but yet also that the punishment comes swiftly and it's fairly. Um, all right, let's take a look at the third of these primary roles of men. Um, and the third of these is, or it revolves around his leadership, or as the Bible calls it, headship. Not lordship, headship, okay? That was supposed to be a little joke. <clears throat> Flip over in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 5, verses we read just a few moments ago, and we're going to walk through these verses that we read earlier, okay? We'll start at verse 23. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he, Jesus, is the Savior. Now, here we have the clear statement in all of Scripture of the role of men and women, of male-female relationship. Paul says that the husband is the head of the wife. Now, I have done, I have read, you just wouldn't believe the amount of stuff I've read from people of all different perspectives dealing with that term, the head. I mean, it means the head of the class, the head of the school, the head of the line. It's talking about the leader. Uh, it's not talking about all these twisted ways that people are trying to deal with it. It's not very difficult for us to understand. The problem for us is it's difficult for us to swallow. It's difficult for us to perhaps accept what Paul is saying here. Why is it difficult for us to accept? Well, perhaps it's because it sounds like Paul is setting us up for male dominance. The husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church. It sounds like Paul is, heading, uh, is lining things up to tilt the scales, right, for that male dominance, male superiority, violence against women, abuse of women, uh, abuse of authority, that sort of thing. It sounds like that's what Paul's setting us up for. I want to assure you this morning that Paul does not have in view a male dominance or male superiority understanding when he talks about the wife as, I'm sorry, as the husband as the head of the wife. He goes on to qualify exactly what he means by that statement in the next verse. Look at verse 25. It says, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up. For her. 
Paul says, this is what your leadership should look like, guys. It should look like laying down your life for your spouse. It looks like that you are giving sacrificial love. You are servant leading in your home. This is not an abuse of authority. This is not uh, claiming rank. This is laying down your life in an honorable way, in a virtuous way, in a chivalrous way for your wife. That's what this looks like. Jesus goes on to qualify exactly what he means when he talks about leadership. Luke chapter 22 and verse 25, Jesus is talking to the disciples, and he says to them, he says, the kings of the Gentiles, that's the kings of the world outside of Israel, right? The kings of the Gentiles, people outside of Israel, all these outside kings, he said, they lord it over them. That is, they lord their authority over their subjects, over the people that they are in charge of. And those who exercise authority over them call themselves benefactors. Then he says, verse 26, but you are not to be like that. But you are not to be like that. Instead, he says, the greatest among you should be like the youngest, and the one who rules, that is, who has authority, like the one who serves. Friends, we are right to be cautious in the full exercise of what Paul's talking about here, that the husband is the head of the wife. Because when sinful nature gets in the mix, uh, it's not long before men, and we've seen ample op- uh, examples of this all throughout human history, of men abusing what Paul is talking about here. Uh, Paul is talking about servant leadership. Jesus is saying you are not to be like the kings who lord their position over their subjects. You're not to be like that. Force and domination have a way of rearing their ugly heads. Um, However, that does not excuse us from ignoring the clear teaching of God's word. The biblical view is the complementarian view. Two people, male and female, created in the image of God, equal in worth, equal in value, but with distinct roles. We see the same relationship born out of the Trinity. I've got a a diagram here for you here that shows the relationship of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit to one another. You can see how that view on the one side, it's over here. All right, so the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the Father um, uh, is, is in charge. The primary area of responsibility for him, it falls on him. Uh, the Bible says that the Son submits to the will of the Father. He said, it's not, it's not my will that I come to do, but to come to do the will of him who sent me, Jesus said. And just the same, the Holy Spirit submits to the uh, to the will of the Father and that of the Son. So even within the Godhead, we see this idea of submission, of distinct roles played out within the Godhead. Again, all the parts of the Godhead are equal in their divinity, equal as God. Not a lesser than or a greater than, but yet each having distinct roles within. Now flip that toward what the feminist view, I think that's the next one I got. Uh, Yeah, what the feminist view wants to reinterpret this is that there's mutual submission. Not that the son came to do the will of the father, but the son came to do the will of the father, but if he wanted to usurp that and say, hey, look, I think I got a better way of going, that the father would say, well, okay, we'll let that go as well. And so that's what the feminist view teaches, is that there's mutual submission within the Godhead. Now flip that to the other side with the, with the, um, with the male dominance view, and this is what Islam looks like. Where there is one God, his name is Allah, the Father, and that you have the Son and the Holy Spirit who are not God, not equally God, um, and they just 
do what they do or have done what they have done. Um, and so, again, that's that male dominance view on the other side, which, again, going back to our first of those slides, you can see the complementary middle, the biblical view of how the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit relate to one another, where the Father's will is what is the end of the, you know, at the end of the day, it's the Father's will, and then the Son submits to the will of the Father. I came not to do my own will, but to do the will of him who sent me, and the Holy Spirit submitting to the will of the Father and that of the Son. But again, all equally God, okay? Um, <clears throat> now let's talk about all that in a little bit more detail, how that plays out. What should male leadership in the home look like under this complementarian view? We've already hinted at a little bit. It looks like servant leadership, but let's put all that on our chart, okay? Take a look at our chart here. Uh, so we've got the husband's wife is his primary area of responsibility. When there's no bread on the table, he should feel the main pressure to do something about it, to provide, to protect, and then to lead. What does it leadership look like under this complementary view? It looks like loving humble headship. That's what it looks like. Under the male dominance view, tilt that thing that way, it looks like harshness. It looks like dictatorial leadership. It looks like the wife is a doormat and the children are raised under harsh discipline. Sinful nature, friends. Working itself out. Um, tilt the scales the other direction. And um, we see under the feminist view what leadership looks like. It looks like a husband who wears skinny jeans. No, I'm kidding. I'm just, I'm just messing around. So I know that's not a problem here, but in any case, you can go into Atlanta, you might see a little bit of that. But it looks like the wife is the usurper. Uh, the children are raised with too little discipline and very little respect as a result for authority. And so the way this plays itself out uh, in the rearing of children is that the kids, just like with the criminals under that protection thing, are, they don't experience discipline. They don't experience from their dad. And as a result of them not experiencing discipline, they grow to have a lack of a respect for authority. That's what happens because, oh, little Johnny, uh, you know, he didn't mean it. He was, so, I, he, you know, he was just having a bad day. No, little Johnny needs to be taken out to his bedroom and have a conversation. And what proceeds, proceeds. It's called discipline. It's swift. It's fair. It teaches the lesson it needs to teach. And then we have respect for authority and we move on with our life. Right? It's not harsh. It's not over-the-top ugly. Um, but it's that middle line, that complementary view. Okay. All right, let's uh, talk about this a little bit more. And we'll keep that up on the board. In the biblical middle, again, the complementary view looks like loving, humble headship. Um, and the result of that is respect throughout society. Tilt it to the uh, male dominance view, and you get the harshness. Tilt it the other way, you get a usurping of roles, a confusion of roles. Um, <clears throat> that's kind of our treatment of these three roles for today. And so um, I want to say here, before I jump into what difference all this makes, is I want to say that this teaching, um, that the extent of male leadership, specifically to that role, it stops at when I walk out my door. Like God does not make all men, he doesn't give headship of all men to all women. You follow that? The Bible never teaches that. You won't ever find that in the Bible anywhere. Um, and so that's, but, but in the home, when things are going wrong in the home, again, God's coming to have the conversation with Adam. He's not coming to have the conversation with 
key because that's his primary area of responsibility as to what's happening in the home. All right, let's, uh, let's get to that most important question. We ask it every week around here. What difference does all this make to my life? You say, Gordon, I don't know if I particularly agree with everything you said this morning, but I am curious. I am curious. I'd like to hear a little bit more about how this plays out practically. Like, what does this look like uh, in, in real life? What, what would it look like for a man to lead, to protect, to provide? What would that look like? Uh, can you put some handles on this? Well, absolutely, I'd love to be able to do that. So I'm going to give you five things, guys, five ways that you can protect, lead, and provide what that looks like practically. Number one, the first thing that I would say to you or share with you um, about how you can lead, protect, provide, uh, what this looks like practically, is number one, to praise your wife. To praise your wife. In Proverbs chapter 31, we find this depiction of the well-balanced wife and mother, but we often skip over the response that she has earned from her family. Look at Proverbs chapter 31 and verse 28. It says, her children arise and they call her blessed. Call her blessed. Her husband also, and he praises her. Verse 30, charm is deceptive, beauty is fleeting, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be, what's our word? Praised. She's to be praised. Verse 31, give her the reward that she's earned and let her works bring her praise. You say, well, okay. I mean, does that mean that I need to give her flowers? Do I need to buy her some sparkly jewelry? What are we talking about here? Um, sure. Ladies say, sure, that would be great. That's good. Um, I would encourage you guys to do that. However, flowers on her birthday, one day a year, is not going to cut it. And remembering her with a card on Mother's Day, one day a year, is not going to cut it. Remembering her at Christmas time, friends, with some sparkly jewelry might be really nice, and she'll enjoy that, she'll like that, but that alone is not going to cut it. What she needs from us, fellas, she needs constant praise. She needs to hear those I love you's on a daily basis. She needs to be reminded on a daily basis of her value and of her worth because it's there, of her value and her worth to you and to your family. Um, it allows her to grow and to develop into all that God intends for her to be. God, this is, guys, this is part of what nourishes her in her soul. It keeps her encouraged. It keeps her doing what's right and lets her know that what she does counts, that it counts, that it matters. It matters to your family, it matters to your children, that it matters to you. She needs that regular diet of praise. A second practical thing, guys, that we can do to, to protect, provide, and, and the lead looks like consulting with our wives about financial matters. Consulting with our wives about financial matters. In some cases, this is not the case in my house because I'm terrible with a checkbook, right? So after a month of marriage, I handed that thing over to Claire and it's never bounced since, right? Um, but anyhow, she's really good like that. However, we always sit down once a year, a couple of times uh, throughout the year to go over our financial uh, goals, our financial kind of what we want, how much we want to spend on groceries, how much we want to spend here and there. And so we sort all that out. And so I'm right in there engaged and I'm a part of putting that whole financial picture together, but I don't just want for her to be the person who pays the bills. I want for her to be part of that conversation and setting up our financial household and the matters that deal with our financial household. And so in bringing her into that process says to her that she has 
of value in her opinion, and that you value her opinion, that you want to know what her opinion is, not just, not just that you totally take care of all of that for her. All right, number three. Um, number three, third way that you can uh, protect, lead, provide is to turn off the television and talk to her. Write all that down. Write it down, guys. Write it down. Turn off. No. No, you didn't like that one? I didn't like that one either. But anyhow, it's in here, and it needs to be in here. So turn off the television, turn off the radio, turn off whatever it is that's distracting you, the ball game, the news, um, and talk to her. Uh, she needs to have a daily opportunity for you to exchange what's going on in her day so that she knows that you care about what's going on in her day. This is, again, how God wired the ladies, and that brings the complimentary view is that we take that time each day to stop whatever it was that we were distracting. Or you know, We get home, we're tired. Guys, we want to go plop down, watch some TV, um, and that's fine, but at some point in the course of that evening, you know, turn off the television or in the course of that day and spend time talking with her. Uh, number four, another practical way that you can live all this out is to initiate family traditions. Initiate family traditions. You probably have some of these in your own homes, but again, it's incumbent on us guys to make sure that those family traditions are one set and that they are observed. Um, Mom can certainly help with that. She can certainly help institute th some of those, come up with some of those, but those are, when it comes to family traditions, guys, like reading books at night, like uh, praying with your family before you leave for a long trip, like praying around the dinner table, uh, particular places that you like to go on vacation, setting that up, inviting the family into the whole experience of the preparations and the excitement and the anticipation of that, of that trip. Um, again, guys, that's on our shoulders. That's incumbent on us uh, to make sure that those family traditions are being set and observed. Um, one of the traditions that we had in my home growing up was we would always pray before we leave for a long trip. And I can remember um, there were times when my dad had to stay back because he was at work during the summertime, and my mom would drive us down to North Carolina to go visit with my grandparents. And because my dad had set that in place, uh, even before the wheels got turning, my brother and I, with just my mom in the car, would say, hey, mom, we got to stop. We need to pray before we leave. And that's, an, that's a tradition that we've observed in our family. And I think I pulled out at some pretty early mornings, hours before, and perhaps forgotten to pray. And I can remember one occasion where my daughter said, hey, Dad, we forgot to pray. And we stopped the car in the driveway, and we make sure that we pray. Again, those family traditions communicate value. Those family traditions communicate worth, um, and they bring the family together. Number five, uh, a fifth thing, my last thing here. Uh, that you can do and making sure, guys, that you're fulfilling in your role a practical way is to make sure that your kids have basic life skills. Make sure that your kids have basic life skills so that when they go in the midst of their peer group, they're not embarrassed because they can't ride a bike or they're not embarrassed because they don't know how to throw a ball or not embarrassed because they don't know how to dribble a basketball and shoot it or hit golf balls or handle a gun or whatever it might be, that they're in their peer group at some point in their life and they don't know how to do those basic life skills. You know, the male dominance view says, I don't have, I'll go buy you a bike, but I don't have time to teach you. So here's a bike, you go out there and learn how to ride yourself. That's the male dominance view. The feminist left view says, I don't really know how to ride a bike myself. And, uh, you know, an emasculated male 
um, and are, you know, just isn't confident to give any leadership to their children in this way to initiate these sorts of things. But again, the complementary middle says, hey, look, I'm going to teach you how to swim. I'm going to teach you how to throw a ball. I'm going to teach you how to ride a bike. I'm going to give you these basic life skills so that when you go out into your peer group, you're not embarrassed because you don't know how to do those things. Dad taught me those things. All right. Um, all right, so that's, that's just some practical stuff for you. Uh, we'll leave that there. Y'all have some small groups that are going to meet uh, later on tonight or next week, and you'll get into this in a little bit more detail and discuss your responses and reactions to all of what I shared. I want to leave you with one thought here this morning. What I want more than anything else is the respect of my children and the respect of my wife. That's what I want from my family more than anything else. At the end of my life, I want to know that my girls are proud of their dad. At the end of my day, I want to know that my wife says I was better because he was in my life. I want the respect of my family. I'd love to have the respect of the larger community too, and I think that we share that mutually. But it matters to me most that my children and my, my wife respect me. Friends, I, I can demand that respect, male dominant view. I can shrink back and allow their mother to usurp my role of leadership, my role of protection and providing, and it just won't be there. Or I can walk this complementarian middle, this biblical view, to provide for my family, protect my family, and to give them godly, humble, servant leadership. Let's bow our heads together. Lord, we thank you for talking to us today from your word. We thank you for how you view our relationships. We can look around at our neighborhoods, at our schools, at our culture at large, and we can see how things have tilted one way or the other. Lord, it's, a, it's tough setting in this balance. It's tough when sinful nature wants to creep in and we want to respond in a way that doesn't honor you and doesn't honor our children. Lord, it's tough for some of us to want to just take the easy road and let her handle it all. God, we ask that you would give us a clearer vision as men today of what you're calling us to, and that, Lord, we would, with patience, with humility, with great wisdom, be able to be the fathers and the husbands, the respected elders in our community. Lord, that you would allow us through your help, through your grace, to be that person. Lord, as we come around this table today, we celebrate your broken bread and your dead body. We're so thankful, Lord, for the forgiveness of sins that we have in you. We know as dads, we know that we are not perfect. We know as husbands that we fall far from the mark. And so, Holy Spirit, we need you to come alongside of us this morning. Let us know that we are forgiven in your sight 
and give us that strength to set things on a right path. We pray for your help this morning in Christ's holy name. Amen.